0: And the room, the house, is completely full, jam-packed with people. You can't even get in the door. And amongst that crowd is some of the scribes. So if, you're, if, that, I don't know if that title means anything to you, kind of like Pharisees. These were the sort of spiritual elite that were, in a lot of ways, out to get Jesus. Um, and so he's preaching to them. Now, Jesus, at this point, he's developed a reputation for doing miracles. And especially miracles with healing people. Um, he's, you know, he, you know, just a few passages before, he heals a leper. Which is, you know, really one of the, like the biggest, kind of like the cancer of their day, um, at least how it was viewed socially. Um, you know, he's a blind man. Um, you know, all these various so he's, people know he's a healer. Okay, and so he's sitting here, he's preaching, and um, you know, the, these guys they, cl- they they're trying to get to Jesus. They can't get in the room. They climb up on the roof, and they pull. They're pulling away this. You know, the the roof is um, organic material. It's like straw and mud and so on. And so they're pulling it away. And this guy's paralyzed, you know, and like back then, there's no, uh, you know, handicap ramps and electric wheelchairs. Like, this is a big deal. He's paralyzed. And so they they lower the paralytic down before Jesus. You know, one of the things we do sometimes is we'll look into a scene in one of the Gospels and we'll say, like, what's the look on Jesus' face? You know, you've seen us do that before. Well, what I want to ask you now is imagine the look on the crowd's face in this scene. Imagine the look on the four friends' face like, Jesus, you, you, you heal all these people, and this guy comes down, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And, and, and I'm, I'm imagining people are kind of like, okay, but uh, how about the paralysis? And uh, so we have to stop and ask ourselves the question, why did he start with, your sins are forgiven? And I believe the, the reason is, is that Jesus knew that he had the power to satisfy the paralytic's deepest longing. And his deepest longing was not the ability to walk. His deepest longing was to have reconciliation with God. Communion with God. To be made right before the eyes of God. And so he started there. Your sins are forgiven. The paralytics, you know, what I love about the paralytics, and we're going to talk about his faith here at the end, but what I love about the paralytic is he he came to Jesus for healing. He believed that Jesus could hook him up. He believed that Jesus was going to be able to help him, and but yet the, what, what Jesus offered him was not what he expected. And here's a principle. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. Jesus, uh, God definitely answers prayers. Sometimes he answers the prayers that we would have prayed if we knew everything he knows. Maybe you've heard that said here before. I don't know that maybe the paralytic didn't know that his deepest longing was reconciliation with God. Forgiveness of sins. But Jesus knew. Maybe the paralytics I think I think the paralytics uh maybe his identity was was totally caught up in um his inability to walk. Maybe his joy was caught up in his tied to his ability or inability to walk. If I if I can just if I could just walk, then I'd be happy. Then everything would be okay. Then I'd be then I would have joy in my life. And Jesus knew like, that ain't gonna cut it. How do we know how do we know this? Okay, so if we look at verse nine, what does Jesus say? He says, Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, "Your sins are forgiven." Now, I think that when Jesus is saying this, it sounds like he's saying, "What's easier for me? I want to make this as easy on myself as possible." I don't think that that's the point. I think, I think the point is, which is easier for the paralytic: if, if the paralytic, if all Jesus did was heal his paralysis, he'd be back tomorrow with something else. He'd be back tomorrow. It, you know, it's it's okay. I'm 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 healed now. I can walk. And then you know, he throws his back out loading a cart or something, you know, or or it's or it's you know inflation and interest rates or, you know, uh, how his kids are acting. If his joy is tied to, if our joy is tied to the material things around us, th- then we're always going to be found wanting. Uh, we're we're always going to be left wanting. And uh, and the reality is that, that Jesus Jesus can't help us, but he can give us an ultimate fix. He can give us a fix that transcends our material and our physical life. So Jesus, he did a lot of miracles. We're going to talk about miracles in just a second. Remember uh, in last week's passage in, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus says, let, let us go out to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. The number one reason that Jesus came was to reconcile us to God. Because that's a joy that transcends our material world, our our physical world, our circumstances. Um, John 3.16, a lot of us know that passage. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, not to make our lives easier, not to get us a nicer house or get our kids into a better school or or even heal us of our paralysis but that so whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life I, I gotta tell you one of the things one of the big things for me this week as i wrestle with this passage is i don't think about heaven enough i'm thinking about next week i'm thinking about next month and and if john three sixteen is true if what what Jesus is saying in this passage is true, then we can have joy today, whatever our circumstances are now the only thing I do want to say is like it's okay to it's okay to be needy before jesus i don't want to um I don't want to to miss that um, i'm 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 needy Uh, I have a lot of needs. A lot of them are physical and material in a lot of ways. God is our Father. And what parent does not want their kids to come to them with their problems, with their needs? And God wants that from us. He wants us to come with those issues. If you're in an abusive relationship, get help. Get out of the relationship. But your joy does not have to be tied to how you're being treated by another person your joy doesn't have to be tied to am i being loved the way i feel like i deserve to be loved if you if you have a physical ailment go to the doctor pray for healing but our joy does not have to be tied to how our bodies are doing or what we look like i was uh, i thought a lot about um philippians chapter 4 I, I think we have the verse um you know paul paul says this he says i have learned in whatever situation i am to be Content, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, Paul. Paul talks in the in his letters about having a thorn in the flesh. Now he doesn't get specific about what is his thorn in the flesh, but he there's something that's ailing him. Uh, maybe he's got chronic pain. Um, maybe he has longing for a type of relationship that he never gets. Maybe sexual desire. Um, maybe, you know, maybe it's a, you know, a material thing. He, 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 he wants to have a, a home. You know, he's on the road a lot um, as an apostle. And God, we have no record of God ever healing that thorn in the flesh. But how did he have contentment? He met Jesus and his needs. You know, when Jesus went went into went went to heaven, rose and rose and went back into heaven. He said he's he's leaving his spirit with us, and that his spirit ministers to us in our need. So we get a you know, like Jesus He was headed for the cross. He went into the garden of Gethsemane. He had some hard physical, material stuff he was about to face on the cross. But he like he got to commune with God in it, and God cared for his soul, he cared for his spirit. You know what's interesting is he he you know he being God himself knew that knew the outcome of that but he still brought his need to God, and so here's a here's something that you could also write down if you're a note taker you can bring we get to bring our needs before God and ask Him for miracles and not need the miracle. If we have joy in who He is, and so here's the here's my 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 uh, conclusion of the first point. To the extent that we can appreciate and enjoy who God is, what Christ has done for us, and who He says we are, to that extent can we be content. To that extent can we experience joy. I'll say it again. To the extent that we can appreciate who God is, what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, and who He says we are as His children, to that extent will we experience joy and contentment in this life. Um, You know, i I, uh, if you, some of you guys know I've, uh, my wife and I we sold our house some months ago, and um, the house was on the market for a while before we got it, and so we thought, okay, it's going to be on the market for a while, so we're going to go ahead and list it while we try to find something else, and anyway, the house sold in like three days, and um, and so anyway, we had to get out of the house around mid-July, and so and we're just about to move into our new house, okay, so. At the time, we we're like, okay, it's fine. Well, my mother-in-law, she's got a nice big house, and 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 we're gonna go live with her, and it'll be fun. It's on a farm and whatever, and it was fun for like 15 minutes. <laughs> and um, you know, and that was like three months ago. And and like, I'm I'm like, I'm like totally, uh, you know, it, 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 it's been I've been wearing my knees out. Like, Lord, please bring us this house. And and we have the house, and we're <laughs> all the mother-in-laws. Um, uh, we you know, we, we've we've been waiting to get into this house, and it's just been extremely hard on our family. And, uh, and as I was wrestling with this passage this week, what I was thinking about is like, how can I have joy where I am right now with my circumstances? And we've got another four weeks before we get into this house. Does my, does my joy have to be tied to whether or not I can like work in my own garden, and I can like decorate my own house, and I can you know, walk to the places I like to walk to instead of having to drive everywhere, and sometimes we need a miracle though don't we um so let's look at the miracles from jesus okay um remember jesus a few passages ago says i'm gonna go preach the word for that's why i came out sharing the gospel telling people what he was here to do so why the miracles why bother with all the miracles? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I like, if I just kind of have a flash memory of Jesus in the New Testament, I'm mostly thinking about miracles. Matthew, especially, full of miracles. So, at least two reasons why. Number one, uh, it was commonly believed amongst the Jewish community that uh, illness was caused by sin. Um, you remember last week when, when Scott preached on the, the healing of the leprosy? The, the leper, uh, he mentioned that if you had leprosy, you were cast out, not just because you were sick, but it was believed you were cursed by God. And so, one of the reasons that I believe that, that Jesus came and did all these miracles was to show that he was God, to show that he, to, to make the connection in people's minds that I have, I have the power to heal. And I have the power to save. And uh, in verse 10 of our uh, passage this morning, he says as much. Uh, He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. So he's just, the paralytics come down, you're forgiven of sins, and he knows what's in people's hearts. Who the heck is this guy that he could heal somebody? Uh, Who is this guy that he would forgive sins? And so Jesus knowing what they were thinking, says, that you may know that the Son of Man, which Son of Man, that's, that's the term that Jesus used. It's the term that was used to refer to Jesus, the Messiah in the Old Testament. And it's the term that he uses to refer to himself as God. That you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So reason number one that he did the miracles is for us to know that he's God. Jesus Christ was not just a good man that did some cool stuff. He was God himself. And out of that comes reason number two. Jesus did miracles to reveal God's character, who he is, what he was like, what he is like. I mean, th- that's one of the biggest, you know, most wonderful things about Jesus coming down onto earth is that we've got to interact with Jesus in person, with God in person, we get to know more what He was like. It's not just from a burning bush or a voice or or a vision. It was Jesus. God came down and was with us in flesh in Jesus Christ, and we got to know more about what God is like, what Jesus was like, and um, and He's kind. He's compassionate. Remember the last for the leper last week it was compassion. He had compassion for him important for you to hear God, whatever it is you're dealing with right now, the places in your life where you might need a miracle, Jesus has compassion for that. Um, You know, I'm taking uh, seminary classes and um, almost done. But a couple years ago now, I took a class that's called um, pastoral ministry. And so in this class, you have this old preacher who's been a preacher for like 40 years, Dr. James Saxon. And uh, and he in this class, he covers all the stuff that, uh, you know, you're not going to get in a the theology class. And one of those things is how to do a hospital visit. And in that class, I learned so much from this guy. He was like such a sage. Um, and in that class, when he's talking about the hospital visit, here's what he tells us. He says, when you go to a hospital visit, somebody go in the room. Don't get hung up on the friends or family that may be there. Go right to the person that you're there to visit. He says that if they're laying down, get on eye level with them. So find a chair. And then he says, and then if it seems appropriate, give them an appropriate touch. Hand on a shoulder. Take their arm. Take their hand. And he said the appropriate touch is important because an appropriate touch tells another person, I accept you. Uh, was, uh, you know, when I Scott preached on the story with a leper last week, and he was telling, you know, just talking about how the leper comes to Jesus for healing, and Jesus could have just said, "You're healed." But what did he do? He touched him. I just think that's so powerful. Jesus accepts us. God accepts us with whatever we're dealing with right now. Um, and I, you know, I think that. Um, some, something I've thought a lot about is um, I, I'm so grateful that that, that that Jesus did these miracles and and then these miracles in the Bible that we that um, that we read about. Have you ever thought to yourself like Why why is it we don't really like, see miracles anymore the way that we saw them in the Bible or we see them in the Bible? And I've definitely had that thought and I've meditated on it quite a bit this week. And I, there's there's two things that I've thought about a lot since you know before, but two things I want to share. One is, I really think that a lot of us uh, we don't have the eyes to see them, the miracles. Um, We chalk it up to uh, uh, the scan wasn't right the first time, misdiagnosis, or um, you know a statistical anomaly. Um, You know, just our our Western Technologically advanced modern society, I think that we just struggle to see the miracles that are actually happening around us. And the other thing is, I think that we overvalue the material miracles that are happening. Um, I was thinking, I was thinking this week about um, you guys know the story of like uh, of Arthur and uh, Excalibur his sword, and the sword's in a stone, right? And so uh, Merlin puts like this magic in the sword, and it's in the stone, and um, and so the stone's sitting there for a while, and people are living around the stone, and oh, yeah, you know the stone, yeah the stone. It, take a left turn at the stone, and they kind of get used to it being there. And then one day, Arthur's heir comes and he pulls the sword out of the stone. And the miracle that happens around us all the time that I think that we should and we get to be more excited about to appreciate is people coming to Christ, people having their sins forgiven, people being reconciled to God. I have a buddy of mine named John, John Hammond. Uh, he was in New York, now he's out in Wyoming, but he he was an atheist, agnostic. I mean, he's He's like uh, in his late 40s now, um, Berkeley grad, just sharp dude. He was working in hedge funds and uh, agnostic atheist type guy and, you know, did not believe in God. And he's just driving down the road one night and has a vision. And Jesus comes to him and says, John, you're one of my children. And it's time for you to repent of your sins. And he has a conversion driving down down, down the road in his car didn't even know a Christian they knew of. I was in the Nepal a couple of weeks ago, and, um, you know, Nepal's in that part of the world, India, Nepal, Tibet, extremely pious, religious part of the world. And, um, uh, I, you know, I was, I was trekking, and there was a guy that was doing this trek with me that was a local Young Life, uh, Young Life staff. So he was a Christian, one of the very few in Nepal. Christians only make up like 1% of uh, Nepalese. And he was telling me about one of his friends, this is incredible, was a uh, Buddhist monk. And his job as a monk was to paint uh, the circle of life, the karma circle of life, okay? So you do, you do poorly in this world, you go down to the dungeon down here, and then hopefully you do better in that next life, and then you can get spit back up here and have a better life, and around and around you go. And um, he's painting one day. And Jesus just shows up in his painting, and again, Buddhist monk. He didn't know any Christians. He he didn't even know what Christianity that it even existed. Jesus comes to him in a vision, and he has a conversion experience while he's painting. And today, he still wears his garb. He still paints, but he paints the story of the gospel in a circle, and he sells it and sends them around Nepal. You know, the prayer. Maybe you've seen like the prayer flags they hang in the mountains. Um, what's normally on those prayer flags are our prayers to the gods, uh, ancestors, that kind of thing. He writes scripture, hangs them around the Himalayas. That's a miracle. We get to be, I think we get to be more excited. We get to, we get to appreciate the miracle that Jesus did for us on the cross and that he continues to be just like people going, like, like we're going up and pulling that saber out of the rock all the time. That's a miracle. That that something that that, that God established two thousand years ago, and that we could continue to enjoy and appreciate today. And so, in conclusion, I want to look at the uh, faith of the paralytic and his four friends. I have a, I have a uh, quote I'm going to read to you. It's a little bit long, but I'm going to stop and do some commentary of my own as we go. This is actually from a commentary, okay? Um, not a warm and fuzzy Barnes and Noble mo- uh, book, but it like so moved me. It so moved me, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna share this with you. It says, "Crowds." This is, remember, Jesus—he's surrounded by a crowd in his in his in this house preaching. Crowds constitute outsiders who stand either in ambivalence or opposition to Jesus. Okay, remember, this is a guy who is a New Testament expert who's doing an analysis of the book of Mark that's writing this. He says, Enthusiasm for Jesus and even the proximity to him are not the same thing as faith. The crowd stands and observes, but disciples must cons- commit themselves to action as illustrated by the plucky squad of four, which is his reference to the guys carrying the paralytic. Then he says, The first mention of faith in verse 5 of our passage in Mark significantly links it with action acting rather than with knowing or feeling. We know nothing of the beliefs of the four friends of the paralytic except that they take action. So we, we don't know, are they you know are they reading the Moravian text? Are they doing a book in, a chapter in Psalms and a chapter in Proverbs and, and another book of the Bible every morning? Are they in a DNA group, a community group serving on Sunday morning? We don't know what they're doing. We just know that they decided to take action because they believed Jesus could help them including circumventing crowds and removing roofs to ensure that their charge is brought to Jesus. Faith is first and foremost not knowledge about Jesus, but active trust that Jesus is sufficient for one's deepest and most heartfelt needs. See, that was the issue with the paralytic. He thought his deepest issue was his paralysis, and it wasn't. An opening to Jesus cannot be found. One must be made that is the description of faith. It will remove any obstacle, even a roof, if necessary, to get to Jesus. And so what I want to do in conclusion is to look around the room of this story. You have the crowd who is ambivalent. Maybe they're there because their friends have decided to come. Maybe they're there because um, they're just curious, but generally ambivalent. Um, there's the scribes who are among them. You know, the scribes are irritated. They're irritated with Jesus, offended by Jesus. Then you have the four friends that bring the paralytic. Again, we don't know much about their faiths. We just know that they they believe that Jesus could help them with their deepest needs. So what I want to ask you is, where are you? Which one are you right now? If you're like me, you've been all of these things, and maybe uh, you identify with these different people in different parts of your life right now. Jesus invites us. He says, come to me. Faith starts with an action. I really appreciate what this guy said. It doesn't have to be a full knowledge or even a feeling. I don't know about you, sometimes I don't feel faithful. My faith feels dim. Jesus says, come to me. You're weary and heavy laden. Your theology doesn't have to be perfect. Your life doesn't have to be perfect. Maybe you're still still hoping on the paralysis being healed. And you're not sure what God's going to do. But faith starts with an action. There's all kinds of different places in our life where um, where we need him to show up, aren't there? And where faith, where we can act in faith, and so um, Jesus is extending to us all an invitation, regardless of where we're at—crowd, scribe, friend, a needy, desperate paralytic—because what he did on the cross, coming as God incarnate living a perfect life, getting tempted, even struggling in the temptation. It says when he was tempted, the the angels came and ministered to him. You know, in in his humanity, he he didn't ignore the part that like, God not doing everything our way is hard. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, God met him there. It was hard. But he lived the perfect life. And he died on the cross. And what's more than just dying is that in the three days after his death, he bore the punishment that you and I deserve. And not just you and I, every, every human being that, that God has ordained as his children from the day that the world was created to the day that Jesus comes back, he paid for all of those sins. He took the wrath from God, experienced the separation from God, and then that debt was paid for us in that moment. And that's what we call the great mystery of the gospel. And that's the greatest miracle of all time. And he invites, and he invites you to come in and, uh, and experience joy, lasting joy, and what he has to offer in forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, uh, we come to you needy. A lot of us, we, we need a miracle. We don't know what you're going to do, and that kind of scares us. But God, we pray that we would grow to appreciate you more. We pray that we would grow to appreciate what you did for us more. Meet us in our, in our, in our neediness, we ask. Help us to find more joy in, in the eternal salvation, the eternal satisfaction that you offer us through what you did on the cross. Lord, we're so grateful. Help us be more grateful. Help us to understand it better. And Lord, we just pray, I pray right now for the people in this room that need miracles. Lord, we, we believe you still do miracles. I pray that you would miraculously show up for the, our congregation here. I don't know all the needs that are here this morning, but I know that there's a lot. I know I've got needs. I could use a miracle. Would you come and power, Lord? And while we wait, help us find joy in you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you, David. Well, it's an opportunity as we do every Sunday here after we hear the word preached, believing the power of the gospel.